This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now you take that the next also with cocktails then is especially fun because there is so much creation going on. And part of my theology, and this is hardly novel to me, but that you see is you talk about the Imago, Imago day that we're made in God's image, that we reflect him and God is among other things, a creator. And so when we're called to create, that's a musician, that's as a writer, but also I believe a builder is creating, but also creating fine cocktails. I mean, especially like to tiki drinks, there's, there's so much creativity that goes into a good tiki drink. And I just love that. And you're in this interplay of uh, all the different things, of a, like a, a Boulevardier. So if we're talking bourbon, it's a great bourbon cocktail. You've got these, the sweetness, you got the bitters from the Campari going on. And it's just, it's a blast. Now you take that to the next, also with cocktails then, is especially fun because there is so much creation going on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are joining, we are jumping off the Springsteen train, though I guess we're going to get on the peace train, maybe the political train. My new friend, Josh Kelly, is joining me. Josh, in his pitch, said, I went from pastor to bartender. And I said, this is a guy I've got to talk to. Josh, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jesse. Yeah, it's funny. I got that message from you by me on the show when I looked at your profile. It's all stuff about uh, Bruce Springsteen. And I think I wrote back and said, I don't know, remember exactly what I said. Basically, disre- yeah. no disrespect to Bruce, but that's just not what I listened to. Yeah. But thanks, but no thanks. And then you came back with just, so actually, I want to talk about this and this. And I'm like, okay, count me in. So I, yeah, I'm super jazzed to be here. Very nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. Tell us a little about yourself. Give us your elevator pitch. Yeah, oh gosh. Try the short version. Grew up in a, here in the Northwest. Was born in Southern California, but grew up in the Northwest. Good Christian family. We're a little screwy, but nothing. Good people. And I was very fortunate. I have a good loving family and all that. And I was, my experience, I think, was a little unique in that my dad grew up Pentecostal, which is a little more of a conservative end of the Christian Christianity. And the home he grew up in he was not allowed to ask questions like, why do we trust the Bible? How do we know God exists? And things like that. And because of that, his response was to encourage us to ask questions. So my dad, I grew up with my dad encouraging us to ask questions about our faith. And I think that ended up being super formative to me because I'm, I'm an incredibly critical thinker. 
I, I just, because I said so, because the Bible said so, that just, I need something more than that. And I'm fairly certain I would have, I would have certainly left the faith, uh, perhaps come back, but I would have left the faith if I wasn't given that opportunity. So that's my childhood. Ended up becoming a pastor. I never intended to do that, but that's where I ended up. And then long story short, had things, being a pastor is hard. A lot of painful stuff can happen. And and if having to shut down my church because it had shrunk down to a place where I was no longer viable. And so we, and right around that same time, I'd published a book about Christian living. This really based a lot on this idea of avoiding extremes. And so all of a sudden I'm out of a job. Only thing I've really done, only all my training is in being a pastor. So I said to my wife, we have to sell the house. Why don't we just pack the girls up and drive around the country for eight months? Spent eight months driving around the country, saw 40 states, two provinces in Tijuana and Came back and knew I didn't want to be a pastor anymore, but I still wanted to write and, but need to make money because almost no one makes money writing. And so I became a bartender and did that for about seven years and really enjoyed it. There's a lot about bartending. It's a lot of fun. And then during COVID came and all of a sudden I'm being paid not to work by the government. And, every, and Washington is one of the first states to shut down. We stayed shut down for a long time. And that I just had, I had continued to write during that whole time. That was bartending. And then from there, I was able to transition into full-time ghostwriting, which was nothing I planned to do. It just, it wasn't on my horizon, but turns out I'm really good at writing for other people. And in the past, what, three years since COVID, I've managed to write something like 15, 16 books for other clients and been able to, like, I had one client fly me out to Nigeria and Kenya to do research, I've been to Florida, been able to do just a lot of fun and learn about a lot of unique experiences and see the world through a lot of people's eyes. That's about as short as I can make it, I think. That is the perfect link. Appreciate that. You mentioned your father was raised Pentecostal. How about your mother? So she was born, raised Catholic in that pre-Vatican II era where she didn't really, literally, she one time heard some reference to the Apostle Paul, who's a fairly major figure in the Bible, and she didn't know who that was, even having grown up Catholic and been confirmed. And so she ended up, she went to a, like a Halloween event at a Quaker church and ended up becoming a Christian in the Protestant sense and went from there. And she met my dad who'd been working as having a revival tent there in Southern California. So they, so I have, and now in the intervening years, I found myself more certainly compelled by Catholicism, find it a lot, very interesting to me. And part of that is almost a rebellion against rebellion. America, we're all about, we're going to do it our way. It's just about us. And realizing that doesn't always have great results is interesting. I'm not saying a lot I disagree with Catholicism, but that has intrigued me, that tradition and that, that foundation. Yeah. I was raised Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, a deacon in the first Baptist church of Rose Pine, where there was only three churches in the whole little village. And the very, and I found out afterwards, part of the reason why we were so strict is my father was an alcoholic and so my mom very anti-alcohol and so to our house the idea a sip of beer you're immediately a bum in a ditch and so when i started dating my wife who was raised catholic it was nothing to her to have casual alcohol was nothing a concern and it it took a while And then I do think it's funny that now then when my son, who's in his 30s, visits my mom, his grandmother, she buys him beer. But okay, yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 
so Lynn and I started dating. And at the time I had drifted away from the church and she was, Hey, you got to go to church. If we're going to date, either got to go to my church, got to go to your church. It's okay. I'll go to your church. And at first Catholicism is very different being Southern Baptist. Just a touch. Just a touch. (laughs) But I started piecing things together. Yeah. For example, I'm coming from this judgmental phrase. Okay. The Catholic Church has a missalette, and there's the prayer printed out. How can that really be a prayer if it's a pre-printed? But then I think of the services in Baptist Church where Brother Skinner goes, and Brother Paul, will you lead us in prayer? And I think about it, they say almost the same things, (laughs) right? Even though it's spontaneous, it's the same things. And I said, so... Does it really matter if it's written down and you mean the words you're saying versus what's supposed to be off the cuff saying that? Thoughts on that? That was my first thought about this conversion. Yeah. And that's a fun thing because you think about then, yeah, we fall into routine. So what are we going to end up, which would be preferable, a a prayer that has 1,500 years of history and of being written and created by people with great great wisdom and theology or the thing you slipped into once twice three times and becomes becomes codified codified simply by point of repetition but in all honesty it's fairly insipid right i don't know what brother skinner's prayer was like right. but i know yeah, but yeah. i fall into and they do become insipid and now you look at the book of psalms the book of psalms what it's a book of prayers and they were written down and so this whole thing that we have it's it, again, it's this individualism and kind of one of the points, strengths of evangelicalism. Now, when I say the term evangelical, that's now got so much weight weighted on it, how, especially over the last six, seven years. Back in my day, back in our day, as moral majority, now it's Trump. But you can go through all these different things where Christians have kind of, where evangelicals have been really tied in with a political movement. But that's not the core of what's supposed to be. Evangelicalism, the strength of it has to do with a genuine desire is actually a Catholic priest who said evangelicals are good being about being very Jesus-y into actually yes. knowing God and having a relationship. So that's a strength, but with that becomes this fear, this fear of this, of these things of, of foundation, of solidness. And I think that does again really plays well into an Americanism that kind of prefers the new over the old. And so this is the thing I see is that when you have the, these deep roots, so it's good that evangelicalism actually cares. And yes, written prayers can become very rote, but so can unwritten prayers become very rote. If instead we can look at these written prayers and lean into them, it's like, this is some solid stuff. Yes. I come before you, I confess my sins before you, oh my God, and my brothers yeah. and sisters and all this stuff. It's, it's got this history and this power. Yeah. The other thing that as I, and I ended up converting to Catholicism and over the past few years, me and God have we're in a strained relationship that that is complicated yeah that i haven't kicked him out of the house but he may be sleeping on the couch and but you start exploring and you go okay true they baptize infants but you understand if you think the historical reason why to make sure that young children were in part of that community in case something happened to the parents Mm -hmm. but you have this 
confirmation, being Baptist, you had your profession of faith and then baptism, but in a lot of ways, they're the same thing, just in different orders, correct? So the other thing I did find is that going to your Baptist church, I think overall Baptists have better music. (laughs) <laughs> not that there there is and that's partly because i grew up singing those songs yeah versus i'm 28 nine, i'm 21 22 going to catholic church and i don't have that repetition of sure. all the baptist hymns but on the plus side even if the homily or message is mm. crap you get that you have the mass, you have Mm -hmm. that, the in Protestant words, the Lord's Supper. And so having that routinely does give you a significance. I do Mm -hmm. ask questions. Okay. If this is so like on Good Friday, okay, we, we aren't doing a mass, but heaven forbid we not give out communion. (laughs) There's a lot of different things. And Every church, every religion has rituals. Right. Yeah. Some of them are come from practical things and others from impractical things. Right. And that's, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Because we are, we crave rhythm, but yet we create change. And so now I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. Chronicles, of course, are well known, but he wrote a lot of really great stuff. And I think it was in Screwtape Letters, which Screwtape Letters are formatted of this, uh, this senior tempting demon is giving instructions to a brand new tempter. And so everything you read in it, you have to transpose. Okay, when it says the enemy, it means God and all this sort of stuff. But in it, he makes this observation through something. Lewis makes this observation that you look at the seasons. We have this difference, but yet we still have the repetition. And we find that repetition, those formats, those traditions, comforting. And they also give meaning if we keep the meaning forward. In the Old Testament, there's so much about the Passover and all these other things. This is how we teach, and this is how we pass things down. And again, it can be a choice between, do we have the, we're going to have traditions, are they going to be good ones or bad ones? So one of my current clients, he is, he was a pastor with the Church of Christ, which is going to be a denomination you're a little more familiar with there in Texas. And essentially, one of the things we're known for is no instruments. And now, when you look at the history of it, his perspective, and I think he's right on this, is it's more based as a tradition based on the fact they didn't have money, so they couldn't afford instruments. And then you go from that being a tradition to now we need to justify ourselves, and now you create a theology that says that r- instruments are evil. And the kind of the theological work they have to do to get there is interesting, especially because of the, how it refers to in- instruments in the Old Testament. But it is that's what we tend to do, and maybe it's fair to look for the traditions that have a little more depth to them. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I had, I can't remember who it was, but I think it was some motivational speaker talked about we want repetition, but we want uniqueness. And that's why we find so much comfort in re-watching a movie because mm-hmm. we know we enjoyed the movie, but yeah. there may be part of it we forgot. Mm-hmm. It's going to surprise us. Yeah. I, and just I'm sorry, to pick up on Please. that, since we're talking about that, let's come on. What do you listen to more than what more than a movie? Music, right? Yeah. Gosh, and maybe that's where you're going with it. But yeah, music we crave. It's fine. My this buddy of mine and I were playing. Hey, we have Poker's Night, and I create put together playlists based on just things that I that was recognizable. Things yeah. were fun. So we got some Johnny Cash in there. We got we got the Gambler, of course. Just these things that are familiar. And for mm-hmm. him, that's like I want to find music that's got good funk, that's got good sound. And the first time you hear it, you can kind of groove with it. Yeah. Okay, Peter. I understand. I finally understand why we never listen to the same music. But it's specifically for a lot of people. Yeah. So we, when we hear these songs, they take us back to a place. They renew themselves in us. We love the repetition of music. Hear the same song over and over again. So I wasn't going to go there, but I need to share this story with you. And then I'll go back to my other point. I also have a poker a poker gang that COVID took us away and yeah. and we've sputtered and stopped. But for the longest time, every four to six weeks, we met mm-hmm. and we rotated houses and the person hosting bought the food and yeah. and then provided the music, right? Yeah. And so we'd have music in the background and, and we just, whoever was, it was. And sometimes you'd, I'd put it on a 70s channel or a pop channel and one night junior was hosting and he had his pc 
logged into a stereo system and he said, we're going to do something different tonight. He said, there's eight of us playing. We're going to go around the table, pick an artist. We're going to play three songs from that artist. Cool. And it's your turn. You pick three songs from that artist. And that's what we did all night. And it was so what it was so much fun because we could go, oh, like someone picked Jason Isbell. And so I haven't played much of Jason Isbell or someone else would go, I want to do Fleetwood Mac. Okay, let's do it. It was so much fun. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, Yeah, it is. The what I was talking about familiarity and doing the trying to get things the same way is love the fact that we and I have a very good friend who's who is very conservative and he will argue it's really hard to be a small businessman and not lean to fiscal conservatism. He's very liberal socially, but everything. Mm, and he is the one that I, and I quoted him when you and I were talking about, it, he said, where as a country we have drifted in our opinion is And for the sake of simplicity, let's do red and blue. Sure. Okay. So the red dots want there to be safe borders. The blue dots want there to be safe borders. We just disagree. How do we get there? Why isn't the discussion? Okay, then let's find a solution together. Red dots want everyone to have health insurance. Blue dots want everyone to have health insurance. Why do we feel the dumb? The problem we run into is in my opinion, is that we don't trust the other side's motives. Yeah. That that one side says you want to give away the farm to everyone that doesn't want to work. And the other one is, and you want anyone who doesn't look like you to starve and die. Yeah. <laughs> Versus, okay, we what do we find this together? What do we do? And I don't know. I don't I think we can spend all day talking about how we got here, but mm-hmm. it is a really tough vow. And there was a point my wife spoke, she says, used to be when I saw someone with an American flag on their front porch, I went, Oh, that's nice. And now then I worry, oh, what why do they have that flag out? Yeah. So general, that's not really a question, Josh, yeah. just a, a topic to start a discussion. I think I mean, that there's so many different thoughts. And of course, I, my knowledge is just going to be limited to my experience. I could be. Absolutely. You know, and that's it too. Yeah. Yeah. But there's an extent to which we're being played by, by either, by people wanting to be in power. And I'll say this different. It's something I've seen for a long time is that the whole campaign trail is just this really annoying cycle that at the beginning, when you're trying to get your party support, you try to look as extreme as possible to get the support of people within your party. Then once you get your party support, then you try to look as moderate as nor- as possible to get everyone's support. And when you have this system that is so based upon trying to rally up your troops, you stop, you don't, the easiest way to do that is to villainize the other side. And both sides do it. We're really good at assuming, as you said, the worst of e- each other's motives. And it's tough. It's like, like it's how many people do you know that aren't within your same political spheres, aren't within your own religious sphere? And if you're not having these conversations, you just, you don't know, and you're, it's easy to make these assumptions. And 
That's kind of, that's what I hope to do. So I call, I consider myself a moderate, I'm sorry, a conservative leaning moderate. Oh, I thought I was more conservative than I was until I've seen where the conservative mo movement went over the past six years. And I realized that well, I'm not that, but still a lot of liberals consider me too conservative. But my hope is that, that I'm able to have these conversations and try to understand people. And as you're saying, assume the best of most people's motives. Now we may have, there may also though be some very fundamental differences in terms of what is the best way to accomplish these things? Do you assume the best of people's that, that if you give people money that they're going to spend it all on booze or that they're going to try to take care of the family? Do you assume all these things? And I forgot who said it, but, and I've quoted this forever, that we have gotten to the habit of believing the best in ourselves mm -hmm. and the worst in the others. Yeah. If I make a joke it is because I am funny and I my heart is pure and yeah. I'm just trying to make people laugh. If you make a joke, you are a short-minded, racist, horrible person. Yeah. And it's the same joke, right? Yeah. And, and it is now, from my perspective, as a very blueberry in a very strawberry field living in yeah. Texas, <laughs> my wife looks at me all the time and says, no one in our circle of friends or family believe the things we do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and that's a little bit of an extreme, but it really isn't. It is. And it's funny because I started getting a little more political, probably toward the end of George, the second George Bush's administration and a little more concerned. And so people go to Linda because they're afraid to go to me. When did Jesse become so liberal? And I really think it's the hypocrisy that bothers me the most mm. The uh, on both sides, yeah. that the idea that I want to be Christ-like, but I also don't want to act what I say one thing, but I want to act in a different and I think that's what frustrates me when someone jokes, okay, magic wand, what do you want to get rid of? And I, I go, if we could get rid of hypocrisy, I think I count the amount of people who post on Martin Luther King Day about all the legacy of this wonderful man. And then you go, eh, I don't know if your voting patterns match that. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So how do you... As someone who grew up very conservative in a Christian home, how do you equate that? How do you feel sometimes when you see the modern church, as I use right. quote marks, acting in ways that you go, not sure? Yeah. It can be tough. And I'll tell you, like, especially the this last election and COVID both were very disheartening to me. And well, let's use a COVID. The, the COVID is a little bit safer than sure. talking about Trump. <laughs> yeah. And the boy was that saying. How, but when I saw Christians leaving churches, leaving our church, because our pastor chose to obey the law in Washington about masks, I'm just stunned. This is your number one thing? This is your priority? Okay. That doesn't strike me as number one. I may think that I may have my own views on how effective masks are and have my deep issues with the way that COVID was dealt with. And that, but in all fairness, we had no idea what the hell was going on at the beginning. But there's still, there's, I can have my definite issues. 
that really this is what we're going to divide on. And I think what ends up happening, there's, there's so many things, but we've confused primary and secondary things. And we also worry more about our tribe than the truth. A lot of the times I used to be, I was never like super active on Facebook, but I would occasionally put some stuff up and I'd like to be thought provoking and say stuff that's going to, yeah. I do my best. If I can piss everyone off, then that's a good post. Yeah. But when I saw how often all that happened was that I was creating an echo chamber, I was just participating in an echo chamber. And when I saw how often people would say things that from either side that only appealed to those within their own group, but would mean nothing to the people outside of the group. It's just like, this is stupid. I'm yeah. my only face. I basically just use Facebook for a group for ghostwriters. And that's about yeah. all I do. Yeah. So by still haven't answered your question, it's very difficult for me. And I've also, I've had to start to deal with the fact that kind of the systemic nature of some of the issues within evangelicalism, that the, I was very fortunate in, in a, again, growing up in a good household, let's take, say something like with sexism, the churches I grew up in did follow some more of the traditional husband, the head of the house, male pastors, that sort of stuff. But there, there was no hint of viewing women as secondary. It just, it was not felt. It, I just, so to me, that was normal that, okay, so a dude should be pastor. Okay. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that actually was abnormal. And now as I like, so this church of Christ client of mine is dealing with, has had to deal with the sexism within church of Christ and how women were second-class citizens and how the another client, she grew up Amish and her mom literally believed that she could not hear from God, that she had to hear it through her husband or through a pastor. And so I'm starting to recognize that there are some definite issues that are deeper within a certain view that I don't particularly like. And so that, that is a bit of a struggle for me, but I'm also more connected with my local congregation. Sorry, I forgot to my, so it's like where I do my life at is not people like that, but I have found myself shying away from the term evangelical because it represents a lot of stuff I don't believe in. But then at the same time, then I start hearing from the other side, then like, well, I don't believe in that either. And so I'm actually a very interesting, my current, that church of one of my clients is a black pastor. And so working with him has been, I've learned so much just being in the Northwest, especially this neck of the woods is just a very different place than Texas, than the South. It's yeah. just a different world, especially when we talk about race. We don't, there, I'm not saying we got things together, especially when it comes to Native Americans. There's some stuff we don't have together, but we just don't have the history of segregation and that sort of stuff. And it's been interesting to listen to his experiences and see on one hand, this, the right, we have these issues that are definitely problem with racism, but then actually on the left, there's not so great stuff there either. And actually, it's funny. I was just something I was just working on. He's talking about how his beef with Biden, because he said, look, Biden was the guy who brought in this justice, worked with, uh, he, what he, say? he said, with uh, Strom, what, Strom Thurmond, was that his name? With Strom freaking Thurmond, who this whole crime bill that got so many of my black brothers arrested in jail. Absolutely. And so he's, and also he's talking about the problems on this side. And I just, it goes back to something you said earlier. It's so much easier to point out the faults in others than to look at yourself. And so one of the things this guy said to me, and I, hopefully this is vaguely on topic. I think it is one of the things he said to me that's so powerful. And we were just having a conversation. It's 
wasn't really on top and he just basically said, I wish you white people worried less about being called racist because then you could work harder on not being racist. And the more he talked, the more I realized that because we've demonized the term racism, what we try to mean when we say that we've made so extreme that few people actually called would be would be racist by that definition that we're not able to look at the racism in our own hearts because right now racism i mean you have like racism fits right between a rapist and a child rapist it's yeah that's you and when you have that perspective i had to working with him i had to deal with my own racism and, so, and i hated that it was really uncomfortable sure okay because it's stuff that's it's not burning crosses on the lawn it's assuming that because he's black he wants to write a book about racism that's racist yes yeah Go ahead, continue, please. Oh, and just to say, it's and it's something that again, left or right, there's problems on both sides. And if you're too busy using these terminology, throwing labels, you can't actually deal with the wickedness in your own heart, right? Yeah, and a couple of things. One, I there are things in everyone's life that, for some reason, sticks with you. And one of my, I had just mentioned growing up, I was at attending a Baptist church in high school. And there was a sermon that Reverend Skinner talked about. And it's the, do you love me, Peter, then feed my sheep? Do you love mm-hmm. me, Peter, feed my sheep? And his point was, and and this was, I'm currently 63. So this was, I was 18, maybe 17. So it's been a lot of years. But remembering this, his point was that each time Jesus asked him that finally on the third time, Peter's, yeah, I love you, but I might like this more, or mm-hmm. I might like this more. And he says, and that's when, and I can remember him going, okay, now we can work. Now that we know where you're really at, we can move forward. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that has stuck with me of going, mm-hmm. okay, admit what you don't know, admit where you have your biases going in, and then you can work forward to that. Yeah. And I do think that we all have our built-in thoughts and in a lot of it where you're raised and how you're raised and what yeah. you're, the culture you're given. And so I'm going to tell a story that is as an example that does not deal with politics, religion, race, whatsoever. I was in a meeting at a company and I, they were talking about the problems of getting parts for equipment we manufacture. Okay. I said, we manufacture the part, the equipment, so we should have the parts, right? We're going to make them. And they said, oh, no, we have just as much problem getting parts for our machines as we do like third-party machines. Then why does anyone buy from us? And they said with a serious face, Josh, because our competitors are so much worse. And I said, so we suck less? That's our goal? Yeah, let's put that up on the billboard. So I found a weasel and I put, and I came up with something, but had WSL and gave these to my team. And I said, this is to remind us, we don't want to be weasels. We should push more. We suck less. Yeah. 
And the executive said, I just don't know if this is right, Jesse. You're calling your team weasels and you're pushing this. And that was it. I called us weasels and I had the WSL. And I said, shouldn't we spend less energy worrying about me calling us weasels and spend more energy us not being weasels? Shouldn't we worry less about we suck less and actually work on not sucking less? So shouldn't we work more on not behaving in ways that would be offensive to our siblings versus worrying about that term? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is amazing. So I try to listen. I think that's where I come through. I try to throw a little bit of logic in there. And it is sometimes there are certain topics and we could, we don't even have to right now, the audience is naming them off. You don't, I don't even have to say what they are. There are hot buttons that, that immediately there's the two extremes. Uh, we should ban chocolate candy no one should have chocolate candy and then or everyone should have chocolate candy and they can own as much chocolate candy as they want right there there's no maybe we should moderate chocolate candy because it is good but it also causes diabetes and weight gain and when your dental problems but also no it's either one or the other and i i don't know how we get past that what are your thoughts the problem is that extremes are easier it really is isn't it and it's talking a different client he was talking about a little bit with the justice system and dealing with lawyers is that juries or sorry juries juries prefer a simple story just make it nice and easy and furthermore what raises the money like fear and anger again i use this as an example maybe it's a little risky or not but you look at the trump's indictment there in in new york regarding the campaign stuff or no, against the the, uh, the hush money. I look at that and, uh, okay, again, I'll be honest. I honestly don't want the guy to run for, I want him to be out of commission by time by the time that uh, the Republicans are having their convention. I would love, I would, this is where I'm more on the moderate side. I would love to seen that thing be something that could stick. But as it was, I read it, it's like a lot of people on both sides are saying, I'm trying to see, yeah, I guess technically this is, yeah, yeah. It's certainly, it's dirty, it's immoral, but is it illegal to that level? And so what does that do? In as a result, it creates this fear that's basically, so is actually some someone like some liberal publication or more left-leaning. By the way, I said, okay, pause. Here's one of the things you do. There is a magazine, or sorry, a newsletter, a daily newsletter called uh, The Flip Side. I don't know the website, but look it up, the flip side. And it has articles on one topic a day, articles from both the left and the right. So this is where I'm getting this from. I'm reading this on the specific one is about the Trump indictment, both people on both the left and the right, pretty universally saying this is a weak case. And someone on the left side that said, congratulations, New York, you just handed Trump a blank fundraising check. Because what sells? Fear. So that, so the thing, the part about the pause is that's one thing you can do. Subscribe to that, to that magazine. And note, and I'll look that up and add it to the show notes. Yeah. And so I'll tell you, and what's so funny is when I read that, there are times, there's time, uh, I'll see what the issue is. And if I already know what my side says, as much as I have a side, I won't really bother reading that side. I'll more tend to read the other side. 
But there are times where I read both sides and it's like, they're talking about different things. So if it's something about systemic racism or critical race theory, as I read what the left side says, I agree with that. When I read what the right side said, I agree with that. They're not even talking about the same thing. No wonder no one's communicating because they're not bothering to try and communicate with each other. And so that's why I find that newsletter so helpful. It helps broaden me to see people from the other side as not monstrous, but people from different perspectives. And so again, the point being that I don't know a way forward on any sort of systemic level because of the nature of fundraising, the nature of trying to rally the troops. Yeah. I believe in moderate and being a moderate. I believe that being a moderate is courageous. A moderate, I think it may have been Malcolm X that said it actually, or something like that, that yeah. basically that if you're going to be sitting on the fence, you're going to be shot by both sides. But I actually think there's going to be a great deal of courage in being a moderate. But the problem is that doesn't raise the money. That doesn't rally the troops. So I can't do anything with that, that big level, that political level. But I can say on my part, I can try to be as educated and listen to both sides. I can try to be aware of my own biases as much as possible. I can try to assume when something is said that sounds absolutely crazy from that's being said on the other side, I'll go look it up. Oh, this red, this Republican said this. That doesn't sound right. Let's yeah. no, that's not what they said. Oh, here's what this one of those damn liberals said. Look it up. Like one of my favorite ones was the thing where the transportation secretary said that there's these talk about there being these racist roads. And you hear that, and you're like, that sounds silly. I'm gonna look it up. Well, okay, now you see the history. No, he's right. Yeah. But no one on quote unquote my side on the right looked it up. And so right. Try to be a critical thinker, try to read the other side, try to assume a little better the other side. And uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's and all I can do on a personal level. Yeah. So a few things. One, Aaron Sorkin, when he was writing West Wing, would tell the researchers, go pick this topic and do write the best written argument against this side. Cool. What would the really smart people who are against what you believe in say to try to convince that, right? Yeah. The other thing is that we, my wife and I laughed that as Linda said, Amy Conan Barrett, I probably will disagree with every ruling she makes, but it is ridiculous for you to say she doesn't deserve to be in the Supreme court and mm. conservatives We'll probably not agree with everything contingent Braun Jackson says, yeah. but it's the same thing. It's ridiculous to say she doesn't belong on the court. Now, we could talk about others, and we won't get into that for other right. reasons, but it's because it's become political. And it used right. to be, is this person smart or have they done things? What should we do? Yeah. And I agree with you that we don't want to do research. And so Penn Jillette, one of my favorite people, known libertarian, though COVID made him get away from libertarian a little bit because he was like, they were like, they were reaching him like, okay, you're going to go protest against masks, right? And he's like, we should wear masks, right? This isn't a seatbelt law where I'm the only one that's going to be hurt. Not wearing a mask means other people can get hurt. This yeah. is so he said, and I don't know if I agree with him, he goes, should it be illegal 
for Trump to ask someone to cheat for him? Like when he calls the attorney, you can ask, right? Is that necessarily illegal? Now, if he does it, we can. Is it necessarily right? And it's the same thing about that. But the issue you have, Josh, is if you say, I don't know if it's really fair what they're doing to former President Trump there in New York. Oh, you want that POS to be president again? <laughs> right. no, no, you went from A to Z. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just saying that this isn't Al Capone being sent for tax evasion. This is something else. And I think that is another issue we have where you can't have a reasonable discussion <coughs> because it's right. immediately, oh, then you want the extreme. No, I'm just right. asking the question. Oh, yeah. And you definitely, yeah, you definitely see that. And it's, the, there's a lack of nuance that, and so as someone, so I love nuance. I love grace and that's how I function. I also recognize that you need the radicals to get things done. And I fully recognize that if everyone had my temperament, the civil rights movement wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have happened, right? There, there's all these good things that happen, but that I understand that not everyone can be a moderate. Not everyone should be a moderate. And so that's one, one of these challenges is I'm not trying to get, I want us to understand each other better. I hate the polarization. I want there to be respectful discussions. That's why I love about a good beer is I get to, I've had great conversations over a beer and disagreeing with people and we're having fun, right? But at the same time, I recognize you need these more prophetic type voices that are firebrands and it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's going to cause problems, but you can't, I want to lessen their impact, but I don't want to go away. And I guess that's why I'm saying that we need that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I I will continue to try to make things complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that a lot. How did you get, so how did you end up coaching? You've already talked about your bartending. How did you end up doing coaching for people? It's just as a a writing coach. It just is a natural extension of being a writer. Actually, I did writing coaching first, but I've made done more of it since becoming a ghostwriter. In that, as a ghostwriter, is basically someone has spent twenty years. So you like almost every uh, notable person that's written a memoir for Bruce Springsteen on. Someone else's ghostwriting for them because they're spending all that time. They spent all that time learning how to become great musicians. And now they're spending all the time continuing to be great musicians. A writer has spent all that time becoming a great writer, and now they can work with them. So that's what I get to do. But in some cases, it's someone who they have the chops, they just need some guidance. And so it's I do on that in that basis. Um, most of my business is ghostwriting. It's fun to be have some things that I'm just get to just be more uh, give them some hints that I don't have to actually do anything. Josh, how hard is it to put yourself and write in their voice? Because every, yeah. I assume every book has a different voice. Yeah, that's something that is different for each person. I think being a very intuitive person, like an ENTJ is my my Myers-Briggs, if that means anything to y'all. Yeah. It's just something I do naturally, but not everyone's going to. It's a, I discovered when I was writing novels, actually, no, when I wrote a novel, Hard writing a novel is that you have to be able to like know how each of the different characters talk. So I have about a dozen different people in my head that talked and all had a different way of speaking. So once I started ghostwriting, I discovered it's just the same thing, except they're real people. So it's a challenge. There's a lot of tricks, but I record all of our conversations. I find those, ter- those terminology, like what's the words they tend to use and things like that. 
I know how I talk with the way I put things and phrases, but then other people are going to be different. Like maybe they'll use a whole bunch of short sentences or whatnot. And that's a matter of practice and trying to your best to distill from the client their heart without leading it into what you agree with. Sure. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, but it certainly is tricky. Yeah. So what's next? What's your next goal? What do you want to do next in your career? I have, so this is, since you brought it up, my I, my next personal book that I want to do, and I've written the first couple chapters and I'm trying to find a, an agent for it, is a book working title of Drinking to the Glory of God, a, a theology okay. of alcohol, a Christian theology of alcohol. The challenge is I've actually had an agent who said, this is a phenomenal idea, but you have to have a bigger platform first. So mm-hmm. basically not enough people know who I am. So that's the book that I really am excited to write about. I have so much to say about that. So many reasons why I believe that done right alcohol is a, a great blessing done wrong it's a horrible curse yeah but aside from that, i just i genuinely enjoy ghostwriting i enjoy being able to bring stories out that wouldn't be heard elsewise and so i have a list of people i would love to ghostwrite for and we'll see if any of that happens but yeah so that's, i'm finally after my i turned 50 this year i'm finally in the right ballpark okay you know, Good. i've done a lot of stuff between pastoring and all that and bartending and now finally to feel like okay i this is right about right. Still find my right position on the field, but at least I'm in the right ballpark. Nice. All right. So I'm going to have you ghost right. I've never asked the question this way, but yeah. I end every podcast with the Mary question. Oh, so yes, I if, if you are a fan of Josh's and you're checking the podcast, what the Mary question is, Jay Armstrong was on my podcast probably four or five years ago. And he at the time was teaching high school English and he would spend two days in his honors English class, taking the song Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen and break it apart. They would look at the lyrics. They would talk about the themes Bruce is exploring. They would talk, compare it to other poems like Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, okay, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Because the song ends with, I'm pulling out of here to win. Josh, that is your question. Does yeah. Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So it's funny. So I actually went and listened to that and you know, read the lyrics today. And I'm thinking about it. And this is where you have my uh, intertextuality, where you're like looking, bring different sources all together. And for whatever reason, and either I'm saying something incredibly stupid or something that's so obvious that I'm nowhere near the first to say it. But the song reminded me, almost felt like the, the gender swap or the other POV change, a change from the who the speaker is. And on the other side is Tracy Chapman, Fast Cars, right? Yeah. Is that her name? Yes. And her whole song about getting out of there in the fast car. And in my mind, I saw it like that. I know that they don't line up perfectly, but in my so I don't know what what Bruce's idea was, his answer was. But in my mind, the story I write is that she does indeed get in the car, and they run off like with fast in fast cars with all these grand ideas and all this hopefulness that you're just going to get out of the small town. But it turns out to be really hard. And that song, Fast Cars, I think what it reminds me, they're both very sad songs. And both with lots of regrets and trying to get away from something. But because of that, but she actually takes the next step and gets away and it doesn't work so great. So that's how I lead those together. So I don't know great. if that makes any sense, but that's, nope. kind of my, that's my take. That's a great answer. I appreciate it. That sounds wonderful. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Yeah, so my website, joshkelly.inc, J-O-S-H-K-E-L-E-Y. You need that second E in there. And then Inc, I-N-K. It's like the stuff you write with. 
It's okay. just a, this domain that's popular with the tattoo artists and writers. Uh-huh. I, I'm the latter. Okay, very nice. Josh, this was a blast. I really appreciate you. The little change of a pace episode for listeners. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure um, did, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Listeners, I'm always looking for feedback. So please send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce. If you can go to iTunes to rate and review us, that helps us immensely. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. For now, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.